This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. And yes, it is Rabbi Michael Katz here with you, coming to you live from our High FM studios here in Joburg, and wishing you a good day at 10 past 2 on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon, just one week before Rosh Hashanah. Think about it, it is one week to go to Rosh Hashanah. Um, next week, this time, we'll be uh, prepping ourselves for the fact that Rosh Hashanah is really, really upon us. Of course, Rosh Hashanah next week on Wednesday night, on Thursday and on Friday. And so, of course, today we're going to be spending some time thinking about this last week and the build-up to Rosh Hashanah, what we should be thinking, what we should be doing, what the real practicalities of it all are, and to share some thoughts with you about Rosh Hashanah itself um, for next week. So let's get started by thinking about or talking about the run-up to Rosh Hashanah and how it is going to play out in our personal lives and in practical terms, because, of course, this is Judaism 101.9. On this coming Shabbat, ordinarily, the Shabbos before a new month would be Shabbat Mavarachim. And it is really Shabbat Mavarachim on this month with one important, important difference. And that is traditionally on the Shabbos on which we bless the new month of Tishrei, being that it is the first of the months and being that it is also Rosh Hashanah, there is a tradition that we do not actually pronounce the blessing. So if you're in shul on Shabbat morning, which you should be, and uh, ordinarily on the Shabbos before a Rosh Chodesh, there is an announcement that the molad, the Officially, the first sighting of the new moon over Yerushalayim, over Jerusalem, will be at a certain time. And then there is the pronouncement of the blessing for the new month that is said. That would be after the Torah reading on Shabbat morning. Um, this month, it is not said. We refrain from saying it. And um, there are many, many ideas and, I, and, and, and discussions as to why it is that we actually don't make this blessing. Why don't we say it? One of them is... That we are confounding the Satan. We're trying to confuse the negative forces out there. They don't have calendars like we do have. And, um, of course, they can't read our calendars. But those negative forces out there are waiting for us to announce that the new month of Tishrei is coming along that this brand new year is about to dawn, and they would try to thwart any positive energy that there may be, and we want to protect ourselves from that. Well, that is one suggestion. There's perhaps a much more important and deeper, more profound idea, and that is that, in fact, the pronouncement of the blessing of this new month from our part is not really necessary. And the reason that it's not necessary is because we believe that on this month, because it is the month that heralds the brand new year, never mind just the brand new month, that God himself, the Almighty, blesses this month. And God not only blesses this month, but he gives us the power, the potential to be able to bless all the other months. This is delivered to us on this Shabbat. So we're given not only on this month the blessing for the new month, but we're in addition handed, we're told, the ability to bless all the other months of the year. So our ability next month to be able to pronounce the blessing on the coming month of Cheshvan and then Kislev and then Tevet and then Shvat and Adar and so on throughout the year is actually given to us on this Shabbat that we have the power to bless all the months of the year. 
So God himself takes care of this one, and he adds to it our ability to bless all the others. But there is something fundamental that we are involved in. And that is that on the Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah, whether it is a dual Parsha, like it will be this coming Shabbat, and we're going to read the Parshiot, the Sedras of Nitzavim and Vayelech, sometimes it is just one Parsha, and then it would always be Nitzavim. Nitzavim, the uh, third last Parsha, fourth last Parsha rather in the Torah, Nitzavim, is about us standing before God this day. Moshe Rabbeinu was um, really signing off and signing out from the Jewish people and from this world um, in a physical sense. And he was telling us that on this day, um, you're standing before me, like one, all together, um, standing like one in unity, whether you are a hewer of wood or a drawer of water, whether you are the head of a tribe or just a simple nobody, so to speak, in uh, terms of the hierarchy of our people. You're standing together like one. And we understand that this idea of standing together like one is what it is that merits the blessing. Hashem, God, takes a look at his people and he says, my people are standing together. My people are united. My people are not looking at class or rank um, as being the difference between them. They're looking at each other as being part and parcel of the whole that we call our Am Yisrael. And as you stand there together, is this not worth Blessing and blessing on their behalf the coming month and giving them the power that as a united people, they can bless all the other months of the year. And so this wonderful, wonderful occasion happens this coming Shabbat when when on this day. We stand together, and this day, of course, we're told, refers to Rosh Hashanah. So when we make the pledge that we're going to stand together, united like one, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, when it comes to all the dimensions and aspects of the coming year, that we're actually deserving, not only of Hashem's rich brachot, his rich blessings for now and for us and for all the things that we've uh, got tabulated and listed for the coming year, but that, in fact, what we're talking about is God's giving to us a blessing for this month and empowering us through our unity to be able to bless all the other months of the year. That all happens on the Shabbat. As we go out of Shabbat, we head into a week that is really the week in which Rosh Hashanah will occur. And therefore, on this coming Saturday night at midnight, we begin with the saying of Slichot. Slichot, penitential prayers, apologetic prayers, these prayers that one finds only, by the way, in a book of Slichot. One should not make the mistake and think that these are the same ones that are in the back of every regular Siddur. It is always in a separate book because there is a lot that needs to be said. This, by the way, is one of the shortest um, um, Slichot um, lineups that we can have. We have to have four days of slichot um, um, before Rosh Hashanah, and this is according, of course, to the Ashkenazi custom. Many Svardim have begun saying slichot already from the beginning of Elul, but um, 
we begin in the, according to Sfardi, according to Ashkenazi tradition, only on this coming Saturday night. So it was therefore be Saturday night or that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. There are those four days. So it's the shortest that it can be. Um, if Rosh Hashanah was earlier in the week, which it sometimes would be, we would have already started a week before. So the Slichot book will contain more than enough Slichot for, uh, to cover all those possible days of the saying of Slichot. Um, before Rosh Hashanah, we begin Saturday night, usually at midnight. It is um, traditional to start at the earliest possible opportunity to get up in the middle of the night and to say this lichot, to show our keenness, our eagerness, to apologize, to say we're sorry, to ask God for forgiveness in the build-up to Rosh Hashanah so that by the time we stand on the Rosh Hashanah before God, on the Yom Adin, on the Day of Judgment, that we've already been exonerated, we've already been cleansed, we begin Saturday night, midnight, with the saying of Slichot. So watch out at a shul near you or at your own shul um, for the recitation, the saying of Slichot, midnight, Saturday night. And then, of course, if you've said it Saturday night, you don't say it Sunday morning, we then would continue Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and Wednesday morning. Although in the latter days, we don't do it at midnight. It is usually done earlier before the morning prayers, before Shacharit in the morning. Um, and the time would be given by your particular shul, maybe probably around 6 a.m. in the morning that Slichot are said and uh, they're said in unison. We should say them together. We should join together with our communities. This is um, of course, the idea of coming together as a community and what better way to start than with the saying of these penitential prayers of these Slichot. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Getting back to our uh, chat about the days before Rosh Hashanah. Well, let's move on. We say Slichot. We start on Saturday night and we go in uh, to Slichot throughout the week. And then comes to the day before Rosh Hashanah. Erev Rosh Hashanah next week is Wednesday. On Wednesday morning, the Slichot are fairly long, so in most, shul, most shuls, the davening will be rather early. And then the morning prayers are followed by a um, declaration that we call Hatarat Nadarim, Hataras Nadarim, standing in front of a, a, a Bethdin, standing up in, in front of a constitution usually of a minion of other people, in other words, a quorum of other people, we declare that all the oaths that we may have made inadvertently or advertently during the year, the ones, of course, that are not between man and man, but rather between ourselves and ourselves or between ourselves and God, that they're all nullified, that we nullify our oaths. It is similar to what we do on Kol Nidre night at the beginning of the Kol Nidre service, but this is done in front of other people who actually act as a court and they exonerate us of all of those oaths. Why this is done is because we don't want to go into the new year carrying with us or into Rosh Hashanah, into the trial, carrying with us all sorts of things, pledges that we may have made. You know, that's uh, for the kind of thing, I suppose, where somebody says, I'm never going to do that again, and you do it. I am never going to walk into that place again, and you actually do. We have... Um, a lot, therefore, that we are accountable for. And we've got to be careful that we don't add to the list. There's a lot of stuff that God deems necessary for us to do for our existence without us having to add all these extra things. And so we get, gain exoneration on the day before Rosh Hashanah in the morning in Shul. Um, it's a beautiful ceremony, and it's something that everybody should try and partake of. 
and participate in, not only to be able to help your fellow man out and get his expiation and exoneration, but in order to actually get ourselves, so to speak, off the hook as well. In the build-up to Rosh Hashanah, there's a tremendous amount else that we should be focusing on, particularly in this last week, and particularly then, of course, in the week of Stichot. And some of it goes without saying. Some of it is simply making sure that we're um, on our best behavior towards our fellow men, that we're on our best behavior towards the Almighty, towards God, towards Hashem, and towards ourselves as well, and that we are doing things not in a way, God forbid, of uh, misery and of uh, declaration of just how bad I am, how awful I've been, um, how terrible uh, the sins, the crimes that I have committed um, advertently or inadvertently, but rather to be focusing on a lot of the positive stuff, the things, number one, that I did do, and then, of course, the things that I am undertaking that I'm going to do. A very good time for um, an early set of New Year's resolutions of wonderful things that we are going to be presenting and coming to the fore with on Rosh Hashanah and during the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then, of course, signing and sealing them as well into the package for uh, Yom Kippur at the end of Yom Kippur particularly, that these are going to be now the new modus operandi, the way that I am going to behave and the things that I'm going to do in the coming year. It is a wonderful opportunity now in the build-up to Rosh Hashanah, in the build-up to the advent of our great big New Year's Day next week, Thursday uh, and Friday, that we are getting ourselves into the right headspace, into the right uh, mode and into the right kind of commitment of uh, the year that is uh, before us. So it leads me to um, bring to your attention some of the things that we should perhaps be thinking about um, come Rosh Hashanah itself. And perhaps here I'd like to dwell on and think about some of the images, some of the ideas that we are um, so used to and that we think about and that we see on our uh, Rosh Hashanah table and we see in our Rosh Hashanah liturgy um, all the time and of course um, and they are if I may be uh, flippant enough to say uh, really the following three um, that are probably let's call them the best known let's talk about the best known images of uh, Rosh Hashanah um, in an image kind of a form and we know that we talk here about things that are what we would call segulas we call them kind of um, good omens or uh, wonderful codes for things that have a much much deeper value of course there is the code of the apple and honey that we have on our Yom Tov table and our Rosh Hashanah table on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. By the way, it's a thing only on the first night. On the second night, we should try and have a new fruit because there is a question about the brachot of uh, in the candle lighting as well as for Kiddush of saying Shehechiyanu, saying that it is a brand new day when really we believe that it's like one long day and we're kind of in the middle there. So we uh, take a new fruit on the second night um, just to make sure that we have got our blessings all correct. But um, on the first night, the apple and honey. On the second, uh, the, sorry, the second uh, value or the second image that perhaps we're going to come across on the Rosh Hashanah is the idea of having on the table the head of a fish. And the third thing, of course, is going to be seen on the two days of Rosh Hashanah. It's not only going to be seen, it's also going to be heard. And that is 
the shofar, the sounding of the shofar that takes place on both days, on the first day, on Thursday, on Rosh Hashanah, and on the second day, on Friday of Rosh Hashanah next week. Let's think about and let's try and unpack uh, some of the messages, some of the beautiful images that are hidden behind these three major features of our Rosh Hashanah experience. Number one is let's think about the apple and the honey. Apple is on the table um, for the first night Rosh Hashanah, and I'm not sure or not convinced that it wasn't from here that the myth developed that um, it was an apple that Adam and Eve ate in the Garden of Eden. Because, of course, we know, if we're going to unpack this properly, that Rosh Hashanah is a celebration of the creation of the world. If we really think a little bit deeper into it, Rosh Hashanah actually is the celebration of the creation not only of the world, but of man, because we believe that the beginning of the creation began on the 25th day of Elul. It extended for six days, and on the sixth day, God made man and woman. He made Adam and Eve. It was on that day that they messed up already, that they ate from the forbidden fruit. And what was that fruit? Well, most people have the idea somewhere that it was an apple. And maybe it comes from the fact that on our Rosh Hashanah table, every Jew all over the world has an apple waiting to be eaten at the beginning of the Rosh Hashanah meal. And that apple is um, then dipped in honey. And maybe this is what gave the notion that it was an apple that was eaten in the Garden of Eden. Of course, our sages point out that it was not an apple. It doesn't mention which fruit it was in the Torah itself, so as not to forever damn that fruit to condemnation. But there are some who say that it was a fig. Of course, who would run around naked looking for a leaf to cover themselves? They would grab the first one, and therefore the fig leaf is what they covered themselves with. It stands to reason that maybe it was a fig. There are others who say it was a grape. Grape would be a um, good option because they say that Eve was persuaded by the serpent, by the snake, to eat the grape. She then squeezed it into a juice, made a wine, which she gave to her husband because, of course, she had to dupe him. She had to fool him into tasting from that fruit as well. And so the first time that man drank wine, it brought death into the world because that was the resultant punishment. Man would not live forever. He was going to die. He was terminal. He was going to be terminated. Man was going to die at some stage. And so death was brought into the world by the first time that man drank wine. Well, now we understand why we say l'chaim every time we have Alcohol, we drink a strong drink, we drink wine, we say, L'chaim, it should be for life. We shouldn't remember the death, we shouldn't remember the curse that was given to man in the Garden of Eden, and therefore it would be a good idea if that first fruit was actually a grape. But it doesn't say what it was, but it certainly was not an apple. But we do have an apple on the Yom Tov table. Now why an apple? Why not any other fruit? Well, there are some very, very beautiful and profound and deep Values and very, very interesting and fascinating ideas behind an apple. I'd like to share just one of them with you. And the one is that if you take any apple, you can try this at home, and you cut it in half, not cutting it down as we ordinarily would from the stalk to the little leaves that are embedded in the bottom of the apple, but cut it in half the other way. Go kind of along the equator of the apple. Cut it in half from 
um, making the two halves from top to bottom rather than from side to side. I hope you know what I'm talking about. When you cut through that way, you're going to see something fascinating. In the center of the apple, you're going to have a star, and in that star are the pips of the apple, and there are five points to that star. That star is five. If you look a little closer, and I hope somebody's doing this at home, um, if you look a little closer... I hope you're not doing it while you're driving, you understand. Do it at home. If you look a little closer, you're going to see dotted around those pips, there are little kind of green dots. Those dots, of course, are when you've cut through a sinew that goes through the apple, those dots are all around. So you've got five in the center. You're going to have ten dots. Amazingly, in every apple, there are ten dots and there are five points to the star. No apples have it any other way. If we then turn the apple over the other way and we look on the outside, on the outside of the apple on the one side, you're going to have a stalk that stands up straight. And on the bottom of the apple in the indentation, kind of in um, the belly button of the apple, so to speak, you have five leaves. And we're told, therefore, that Hashem has actually put his signature in every apple. An apple has God's signature. God's name is made up of four letters, and those four letters are a yud. And then a hay, and then a vav, and then a hay. The yud and the hay is the essence of God, which is in the essence of the apple. Yud is ten, and hay is five. You've got the ten and the five, um, really uh, played out by those ten dots and the five points of the star in the middle of the apple. On the outside, you have the other two parts of Hashem's name, because the letter Vav stands up tall and straight, just like that stalk. And on the bottom of it, you have the five leaves which make up the vav and the hay. Hashem's signature is through every apple, which means that we now understand what it means when we say, um, may God grant us that this should be not only a good year, but a sweet year as well. We take the goodness that we know that God gives us, and every apple has a goodness and a sweetness to it, but it also got godliness within it. We understand that everything that Hashem does for us is ultimately good, but it may not always be sweet. And we hope and we pray that as we dip it in a dollop of honey um, in our prayers on Rosh Hashanah, that not only should this be a good year, but it should also be a sweet year. There should be palpable goodness, goodness that is tangible, goodness that is so sweet that we really, really understand the goodness that God delivers to us at all times. Now, if you haven't already done so, Essays Only Quality Verified Retailer. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. We're continuing with uh, talking about some of the images and beautiful things about Rosh Hashanah, which is coming up soon. And let's move on to the head of the fish. Well, on your table, you should have on the nights of Rosh Hashanah a head of a fish. Why? Well, we say a kind of a prayer at the time, and that is that we ask God that we should be like a head and not like a tail. And I think that when we come to the concept of being the head and not the tail, we really encapsulate truly what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Think about it. It is Rosh Hashanah. It is the head of the year. At the time of the head of the year, we're not only thinking about the fact that this is the day and the days on which everything that is going to control the whole year is actually in, uh, embedded and is blessed and comes and is fed out from there, which a head would do to control and to feed and to nurture and to nourish the entire body. But we're thinking about the concept of being like a head and not like a tail. 
And if we think about this in the light of Rosh Hashanah, I think that we maybe have got things just a little bit wrong in our thinking about what Rosh Hashanah is really all about. We tend to put a tremendous amount of focus on the fact that this is about the crowning of God as our king, and quite correctly so. But somehow, it surely is also all about us taking upon ourselves that our head, our king, is actually going to be my goodness, my kindness, my spirituality, my spiritual side, my Yetzir Tov. The godliness within me is going to be the king, is going to dominate over everything else. I'm made up of a head and a tail. And very often in our um, application of everything that we do in life, we tend to make something a little bit more dominant than the other. If I'm a material person, my material wealth, my material things, my physical possessions are dominant and my physicality becomes dominant. Well, surely isn't that what we're actually saying when we say on the Rosh Hashanah, I would, would want to be like a head rather than a tail. It's not only that I'd rather be a leader than a follower, but I'd like to make my dominant side, I'd like to make my head, my godliness, my spirituality, my connection to God, my Torah, my mitzvot, I'd like to make that the head. I'd like to crown that as the head rather than the tail. Let everything else follow and um, take the lead from my spirituality. And it's not just in the actual spiritual realms and spiritual things that I do, but that in fact I should have this as my real operating guide, that everything that I do throughout my year and throughout my life should be dominated with this idea and ideal that my head needs to be the dominant um, feature, head representing my godliness, my spirituality, my connection with Hashem, my um, uh, Torah and my mitzvot. Those should be the head and everything else should be the tail. That's what I want to coronate. That's what I want to crown. And that's perhaps the symbol of, please God, that I should be a head rather than a tail, but ra- that I should rather have <coughs> the ability to take my uh, ruchnius, my spirituality, and my yetzer tov, my good inclination, my godliness, my nefesh elokit, my godly soul, and make that the dominant feature in my life. And if we think about it, isn't that really what this whole Rosh Hashanah is all about? It's about making those choices. I'm going to be making choices on Rosh Hashanah for my life. My choices are going to be, am I going to behave well or am I going to behave badly? Am I going to do more this year than I did last year? Am I going to make myself ahead rather than a tail? Um, And perhaps it is one of the most important features and functions of the whole Rosh Hashanah program. And then, of course, we come to the shofar. A shofar itself is an incredibly powerful instrument. Number one, in that the shofar has that shrill sound, which is unique and is um, actually um, unifying because it is the same with everybody. We may not know the fancy words. We may not have the depth of knowledge and uh, ability to study, but we do have the ability to connect with God in a way that actually supersedes 
all of those other things. It's going to supersede the rational. It's going to supersede the logical. And it's going to come to a heartfelt cry. And in the same way as a mother knows what a child wants when the child lying in the crib lets out a shriek, lets out a cry, so too does God understand exactly what it is that we are thinking about and that we're after when we cry to him. And we cry with the sound of the shofar. And the shofar is shaped with a narrow part that is from us, with a broad part that is reaching up to Shemaim, that is reaching up to God. And we say it in the uh, benedictions that we say just before the shofar is sounded on both days of Rosh Hashanah, that we say, um, that I call to God from narrowness and he answers me from broadness. I am coming to him with my limitations, with my limited self, but we know that God responds in a broad, in an open, in a bright and in a beautiful way. And so these images are images of secret codes, but secret, beautiful, beautiful things that we um, think about and that we need to think about in the advent to Rosh Hashanah. The idea and the ideal is really about what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose a good year? Am I going to choose a positive year? Am I going to choose life? Am I going to choose a year that is filled with all the good things that life really should be about? It is a tremendous, tremendous responsibility upon us, but it is something that we really need to take seriously. This is not just about God delivering. This is about us showing that we're going to make those right choices, that we're going to choose a year that is going to be sweet, that we're going to choose a year in which we have the head leading the tail and not the other way around, and that we're going to choose a year in which we're going to connect with God in every possible fashion. And, of course, when all else fails, we're going to let out that shriek, that cry of how we can and will connect with God in a way whereby we know that he's going to respond. But we're going to connect with our past because the shofar was sounded um, in every possible uh, time and realm and phase of Judaism, of Jewish life, going all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. And, of course, we're going to sound it on the Rosh Hashanah on next Thursday and Friday. And we need to be there to hear it. And we need to be there to participate. And we need to show up for the trial. We can't um, negate and uh, just wash away the fact that we're summons, that we're wanted, that we need to be at that trial, that we need to be there at the time, particularly that the shofar is sounded on the two days of Rosh Hashanah. So I would like to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. May our slichot reach that sweet spot of uh, God and of godliness and really bring home the idea and the ideal that we're going to make all the right choices. We're going to be in the right space in the right frame of mind we're going to show up we're going to be there in every which possible way for this coming year that we're going to be blessed not only with a great a new year but that we're going to be written into the books that are going to be filled with god's richest richest blessings for a shana tova umatuka a happy a healthy and a sweet new year i want to wish you a great shabbos great rest of the week wonderful week of slichot uh, coming up for the first part of next week and a great and prosperous year with a fantastic Rosh Hashanah. May it herald the ultimate brachas of the coming of Mashiach now as well. Take care. See you again soon on Judaism 101.9.